Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. We want to just brag on moms a little while this morning. And I want to read as today's text from Proverbs 31. This is, a, this is actually a poem from verses 10 to 31. The scholars pretty much agree that, that Solomon wrote this poem about his own mother, Bathsheba. So it's a tribute to his mother. Some other scholars think that perhaps this was Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, who was actually writing to Solomon about this is the kind of woman you want to marry. And so the classic mother-in-law standard. As you hear these verses read today, you will get the impression that this is a woman of unusual character and nobility. And indeed, that's the, in, the intention. And so moms, listen, if you try to uh, project yourself into every category of this no, noble woman described in Proverbs 31, chances are you're going to fall a little bit short because this, is, this woman's outstanding. But it is a great recognition of a godly woman with noble character. And for that, we want to bless and affirm and appreciate you as a mother. So Proverbs 31, I'm going to read verses 10 to 31. If you're able, would you please stand now to hear these really powerful descriptions. A wife of noble character, who can find... She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. And here's, the, here's the understatement of the whole passage. And does not eat the bread of idleness. Mm -mm -mm. She's busy. We can all agree, right? This girl's busy. <laughs> She's not idle. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And may God inspire us today and encourage us through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Well, Mother's Day always prompts us to think about our own mothers. Isn't that true? And whether your mother is alive or already passed, you remember her and reminisce about her on this weekend. And so uh, I've done a little bit of that myself. I was reflecting on the amazing qualities of my own mother and how tireless her efforts uh, toward me and my siblings and that amazing effort and patience that was required of her. 
when my mom would get a little a bit exasperated when she would get upset, she would uh, use common phrases. For example, if she was upset, she would say something like, bug dust. Oh, bug dust. Bug dust. Anyone, that's got to be an old-timey phrase. You don't hear anyone saying that anymore. Bug dust. How about this? Oh, fiddlesticks. Well, she would, when she was really upset, whoa, fiddlesticks. <laughs> it, it was horrific. <laughs> my, mother, my mother would use my full name when I was in a special, especially deep trouble. You know, you get the John Gregory. John Gregory, you wait till your father gets home. Traumatic, really. And my mother always made me sit next to her in church, uh, never more than one person between us so that she could literally physically reach me. And so when I was bored in church and tweaking my sisters or the poor guy in front of me in the pew, my mother would just reach over with her thumb and forefinger, which was bent like this, and she would grab the flesh on the top of my thigh, pinch it, and then twist it, just like that. <laughs> For years, I associated going to church with physical pain. <laughs> I, had to get, I had to get over that. It's a great mom. You know, I think about the poignancy of a mother being wheeled out of the hospital after she's given birth. Maybe you've seen this picture. I've seen it many times, just coincidentally seeing moms being wheeled out. She's got the baby, new baby in arms, and her countenance is remarkable. She, she has a confidence about her now that she didn't have when she went in the hospital. She has a hope in her now that she didn't have before. She has this pride, this, this deep sense of responsibility that she didn't have before. Now she has this baby, and her future is before her. And it is a powerful symbol of a, of a young mother. I also uh, remember and reminisce, this picture tugs at my heart, the memory of walking from the cemetery with a man who has just buried his mother. And I remember walking away from the gravesite and feeling with him the loneliness that comes to your life when you have to give up the person who brought you into the world. I always uh, look with some curiosity from that side room just before the wedding ceremony when I have the groom and the other groomsmen usually with me and I'm peeking out the side door to make sure the mother of the bride has been seated. It's one of those transition points in the ceremony. Has the, bride of the, the, the mother of the bride been seated? And I always am curious, what is she thinking? What's going through her mind? How is she going to respond when her daughter comes down the aisle? Ruth Graham, uh, the beautiful and late wife of Dr. Billy Graham, wrote a series of poems included in a book called Sitting by My Laughing Fire, and she writes about young mothers. She said, may she have daughters of her own to care when she is old and I am gone. I should have loved to care for her once more as I did then long years before. I was a mother young, and she, my child, caring was joy. So when she is old and I am there, may she have daughters of her own to care. Isn't that a beautiful sentiment? It's all there. As I mentioned, Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 21, is an acrostic. It's a poem. It actually uses the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, so each of these verses begin with the corresponding letter. And it is in poetic form, and it is quite significant and poignant. We usually think of a mother 
as meeting the needs of other persons in the family because that is what she is doing most of the time. But today, on this special occasion of Mother's Day weekend, we need to remind ourselves that mothers have needs which must be met as well. Needs that grow out of her many roles, not only as a mother, but as a woman and as a wife. So this is a message in honor of mothers, uh, but specifically to husbands and children, so that we can better honor and appreciate our moms. Three points I want to make this morning just to remind us that first of all, she is a woman. She's a woman. The sense of her personhood comes from this reality. As a woman, her most basic need is for relevance, for significance, for self-esteem. She needs to know that she's valued and that she has worth as a person. Uh, The love and support and appreciation then that she receives from her husband and her children are very, very important. I heard uh, one fatigued mother cry out one day, I've cooked so many meals and washed so many clothes that I wouldn't be surprised to look into the mirror some morning and discover that I had turned into an appliance. (laughs) And this is just another way of saying that she doesn't feel like a person much of the time, but rather like a function. This is just, I am what I do. And, and the womanhood part can easily be lost. Could I just uh, give permission to all of you women into the room today, for what it's worth, that you have my permission at least to reject the notion of a single mold, that every woman should do this or that, every woman should marry, every woman should have a career, every woman should have children, every woman should stay home, every woman should homeschool. Don't allow the world or culture or anyone else to squeeze you into some mold that they think best for you. You would be best if you embrace these kinds of values that are true for every human being, which is resist the notion of selfishness, give yourself to God-sized dreams for your life, follow His will and ways, and He will direct your paths and get you to honorable and lovely places. And so follow Jesus with all of your heart, and you'll be the woman that God has designed you to be. So she is a woman, and therefore praise and affirmation of her personhood should be confirmed. And I think this text clearly gives us that admonition. Here's the second thing. She's not only a woman, she is a wife. She became a wife, uh, ideally, before she became a mother. And those first needs do not stop once children are born. This uh, often happens after children come to a family, to a couple. The husband turns to his career and the wife turns to the needs of the children and sometimes intimacy can be lost. This is one of the reasons that it's so important to have common values and common foundations in your relationship. For example, your relationship with God becomes a cornerstone of your entire life and when you share that value with your spouse it becomes an incredibly powerful reality when the storms of life come. And even when the simple distractions of life, when life happens and he's off working and maybe she's off working and they're both trying to raise these kids and the kids are a distraction and the careers are a distraction, it's easy to misplace the intimacy that you have with one another. Remember, she is a woman and she is a wife. And that should be prioritized. That's why setting aside special occasions and special moments with your spouse is so important, especially when your children are young and so demanding in your 
in your family in the early years. So a date night or special gifts, you know, learning the love language of each other and intentionally engaging those languages so that you're connecting well with your spouse. Listen, uh, marriage isn't some magical thing. It's, it's, a, it's about standing on the right kind of foundations and honoring one another with the things that you've learned meets the other's needs. I uh, had an occasion when our oldest son, Aaron, was about 12 years old. He came home one afternoon. If you've raised boys or been around boys, you'll know that at a certain age, they, uh, they get a little physical strength and their hormones start to kick in. And when this happens, I call it the young buck syndrome. And what happens is, I mean, imagine these two young bucks out in the woods. And so, you know, they find each other and they, you know, they're sparring with each other. They're testing their strength and trying to feel, you know, just how far along they are. And occasionally you'll see a young buck with a big daddy buck in the woods. And, you know, he'll encounter this big daddy buck. And that is short-lived. And, you know, he backs out of that quickly going, well, I'm not quite ready for that. And so what happens with these young bucks is that they, they naturally begin to look for a woman that they can begin to, you know, impose themselves on. And this is, this is nature taking its course. And in this case, Aaron did not have any sisters in the house to dominate, and there weren't any girls in the neighborhood to speak of, so the only woman left was his mother. And I came home one afternoon, <laughs> and Aaron, now 12 years old, he was, he was taller than his mother and starting to, fe- you know, feel it. And so he had literally pushed her up against the front door. They're on the front porch and against the front door. So Beth had her back against the front door. He is pressed up against her and kind of hovering over her, looking down. I didn't hear any words that were being exchanged, but I could tell by the body language what was going on. So I pulled in the driveway, got out of the car, started walking up toward this and he didn't move. I mean, he's still, you know, he's in the moment. He's, you know, he's it's hormones. He's just glazed over and I looked at Beth and she gave me the she gave me the look (laughs) and she didn't say a word but her look was this would be a good time right now (laughs) and so I didn't say a word I just walked over to Aaron now listen I'm about to describe something to you that some of you in this room you'll want to call child protective services (laughs) and have me put away Look, the, the boy is 40 years old now. It's over. He, even if they come, he'll lie about it. Nothing will come of it. Trust me. I grabbed him by the lapels. This is all very calculated. I swung him around, backed him up to the car, and then bent him over backwards over the hood of the car. And then I put my nose down on his nose. And I said, Buster, nobody treats my wife like that. Not you, not anybody else, not in my presence. No one is going to treat my wife like that and get away with it. And furthermore, not only is that my wife, you should know that she was here before you got here, and she'll be here long after you're gone. That's my woman, and nobody messes with my woman. All right. Well, I was just getting warmed up. The only reason that you're allowed to stay here is because I'm nice. (laughs) 
I put a roof over your head. I put clothes on your back. I put food in your belly only because I'm a, I'm a decent person. I don't have to do that for you. I could have you kicked out of this house tomorrow. You're not my problem. I'm just being nice to you. So as long as you're here, and remember, you're just passing through. As long as you're here, these are your two attitudes. Number one, you should be grateful. Grateful for everything that is given to you. Because it's all been given to you. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. It's, it's all been given to you. So you should be grateful. That's your mother. You should be thankful to your mother, gracious to your mother, grateful to your mother. And I said the second attitude you should have is respect. Because of all of the, all of the effort she makes to give your life meaning and significance. So you're respectful. You're grateful and you're respectful. And I said, now did you get it? He said, I got it. And he really did. He got better after that. I didn't have, have to do that again. You know, he's pretty quick. So he got it. And so I let him up. And I let him live. <laughs> Which were both op options that I had at the time. Could you see me trying to do that to him now? Oh, boy. Oh. He'd break me like a stick. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be sad. Be pitiful. So at the door of her house stood a mother, arms full of coats, her four little ones all around her feet. The dad comes down the staircase. He goes, what are you doing standing there with all those coats? She hands him all the coats. She said, I thought we'd change roles today. She said, today you put the coats on the kids. I'll go out and sit in the car and honk the horn. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's going to need some help. She's a woman, and she's a wife, and thirdly, she is a mother. Now, this isn't her whole identity, this motherhood. It is simply the name given one of her functions. However, in this role, she has many needs. She needs to be graceful. She needs to have wisdom. She needs patience. She needs reassurance. She needs the support. She needs energy. She needs energy. You know, God looked at the human race and decided, look, I can either give children to young people who don't know what they're doing but have enough energy to keep up with them. Or I can give them to older people who may have a little more wisdom but don't possibly have enough energy to keep up with these children. And so God chose ignorance and, and energy over wisdom and not so much. And that's how, so we, when we raise kids, look, we're just growing up together. And that's the way it goes. And so she needs lots of things in the midst of this and she needs help. Uh, the needs which are met in a family by the mother are as diverse as life itself. And, of course, the job is tough because the people whose needs she's meeting are usually the, the, the last to actually recognize and appreciate what she does. Isn't it interesting that it isn't until after you've left your home, more times than not, when you look back and reminisce about your parents or your mother in particular, that you find appreciation for all the things that she actually did. And that's a strange twist of, of, of human nature, but it's right for us to recognize just how many qualities a mother must have in order to raise a child. It's remarkable. I heard the story of one little guy. His name was Brian. He'd been scolded and disciplined just before lunch, so he's sitting there at lunch. He's very quiet and pensive. He finally looks up at his mom and he says, Mom, isn't it true that God can do anything he wants? She said, yes, yes, Brian, God can do anything. 
And then a long, thoughtful pause from Brian, and then Brian looked up and said, God doesn't have parents, does he? <laughs> How many of you know you're going to have to have some, something to raise that boy like that? Years ago, our youngest son, Isaac, was six years, is six years older than his, his older brother, Aaron. And, and so Aaron, at, this, at a certain point in his life, he was, had free reign in the neighborhood. You know, he's, he's uh, nine, ten years old. And his brother's three or four years old, so the nine, ten-year-old, I mean, he can go anywhere he wants. He's just free-ranging free in the neighborhood. But, but Isaac, on the other hand, he's only three or four. We've got to keep an eye on him. He can't just be running loose. And so, and so one of the things that we noticed one day is that Isaac would follow Aaron all the way, all the way around the yard, out the, up the driveway, and into the street. We said, oh, we can't have this. And so, so I devised a system. And the system was to get some red paint and one of these little four-inch rollers. And about 10 feet from the end of the driveway at the street, I took this red paint and roller and I made a four-inch red line across the end of the driveway. And then I sat down with the boys. Beth was there. And we gave them this lecture about the new rules. So the new rule is you can run anywhere in the yard. You can go anywhere in the driveway. But Isaac, you cannot cross the red line. If Aaron runs out there... He's older, it's just life, too bad, but you can't. You cannot go past the red line. Any questions? I mean, it's a red line. It wasn't 10 minutes till the UPS truck pulls up out front to drop off a package. Aaron goes running out toward the UPS truck to collect the package. Isaac, you know, he's three and a half. He's just trying to keep up the best he can. His hair is flying. I can still see him in the his summer sun. He's just running just like this. His head was back. And as he's running up the driveway, his mother, who's working in the garden, she yells at Isaac, Isaac, remember the line. He just, you know, kind of glances back at her. He's going like this. This is what happened next. Aaron, of course, runs right through the line. The line is, has no, no significance to him in his life. He runs right past the line, doesn't notice the line, right out to the truck. Isaac runs, he's, and I'm just watching him, and he runs at full speed right up to the line. He just stops, right at the line. And now what happened next happened in about a second and a half. Isaac looked down at the line. Right, he's got his toes right on the line. Looks down at the line glances back over his shoulder at his mother. <laughs> back down at the line. Again, a second and a half. He turns, runs parallel to the line, out in the grass, around the line, out to the truck. <laughs> Beth bows up, stands up, you know, and I, said, I grabbed Beth and said, hold it. He didn't cross the line. I, I mean... <laughs> You can't, you can't jump him for crossing the line because he didn't actually cross the line. I said, we're going to have to explain to him. I said, the line does not stop here at the driveway. It goes on all the way around the world and back on the other side. You cannot cross the line. We looked at each other and we said, he's going to be a problem. That's going to be. I mean, if he's three and he's figuring out how to get around the line, got no chance, right? Yeah. 
a mother, a mother meets the needs of her children by modeling her role before them. To her son, she begins as the most important woman in his life. It's true. The boy loves his mother. He loves her. And a son will resist to the death any effort his mother makes to interest him in some young lady. Just push back on that. No. He'll look at, mother says, look at that little girl. She's, she's pretty cute. He's not interested. He's not interested because why would he be interested in some other little girl when he has his mother? It is a, uh, it is a beautiful relationship. Let me just highlight one aspect of this that I think is especially applicable in today's culture. We have so many single parents, and as you know, that's such a challenging job and so difficult in so many ways. And when you have a single mom and, and, a, and a son, that their relationship becomes very, very special. And the bonding that they experience between each other becomes quite significant. And therefore, when it comes time for that boy to leave the nest, leave the, the home and leave his mother, it becomes very, very challenging for the mom and for the son sometimes to let that break off appropriately. You know, the apron strings have to be cut at some point. And it's very difficult. Let me just say a word about this. Moms, your instincts, whether you're married or single, you have this son ready to leave the house, this becomes very, very difficult for you. And your instincts, your motherly instinct says, don't let him go. Because it because if, you let, if I let him go, I'll lose him. He'll be gone forever. Now, let me just say this. Your instincts fail you at that point. It's not actually true that if you let him go well, that you'll lose him. The truth is, the truth is, if you let him go well, you'll never lose him. And here's why. If you let him go well, and he takes these steps out of the nest and he begins to build a life for himself and he full, finds himself growing in his own adulthood with appropriate re responsibilities, he will look back on that moment and he will go, you know, my mother must really love me because she let me go in the way that was most loving to me. I needed to be on my own. I needed to be challenged by life. I needed to be able to figure it out as I went along. And I am the man I have become because my mother was willing to do a really hard thing. It wasn't easy for her. In fact, her instinct said, don't let him go. But because she was willing to let me go, she was expressing the greatest form of love for me. And as a result of that, now watch this, ladies. That means that I can trust my mom in the crossroads of life. I can trust her that when life really gets hard and tough decisions have to be made, that she is a woman that I have already witnessed make tough choices in those moments of life, and I can continue to trust her in that way. What I'm saying is simply this. If you let him go well, not only will you not lose him, he'll come back to you. He'll come back to you. Now, the boundaries will be different. The relationship will be different. He may have his own wife. He may have his own family, and you've got to maintain those boundaries respectfully, you know, this is where b bad mother-in-law reputations come from when moms just can't stay out of it. W with the boundaries in place, again, that's just another step you take that, that says to your son, you can be trusted. And therefore, because he trusts you and loves you already, he'll always come back to you. Beth did this so well with our boys. 
Aaron, you know, she did it well. But then when her baby, it was time for her baby to go. Ooh, this got more difficult. And so I had to sit her down and coach her up. I said, you know, you're struggling with letting him go. She said, I know, it's just so hard for me. I said, you have to let him go. I took him out for lunch one day. He was 18. He was a senior in high school. I said, listen, your mother loves you. You're, his ba- you're her, her baby, and she doesn't want to let you go. And, and so she's struggling with that, and I've been helping her, but she's got to cut those apron strings, and it's good for you. You get that, right? He said, yeah, I get that. He said, I said, now, me, on the other hand, just so you don't misinterpret, I love you. I care about you. I want the very best for you. I don't have any problem with this. <laughs> in fact, my number one goal in life right now is to kick your sorry behind out of this nest. And when you leave, listen, don't bother to come back because you're not welcome back. Once you go, you're gone. You don't come back here. This is not what men do. Men leave and they stay gone. Don't come back here. <laughs> don't call CPS. I'm serious. I, it's not, it's, it's over. And she did it well. And she turned them loose. And now they both, she, she has them better, she has them more now than she's ever had them. Both of our boys call their mother multiple times every week. They call me, you know, at Christmas. <laughs> so I don't care. They talk to her all the time. Beth showed me the text that Isaac sent her this morning on her phone. You say, A Mother's Day text, how if you read it, it'd make you cry just like it made her cry. You would not believe what he said. It was so beautiful. You're the, you know, the best mom who's ever lived. And he's right. He's right. And the relationship moms have with their daughter, listen, you model, you model for that girl what authentic womanhood looks like. You do it for her. Don't doubt for a second that she's not watching every move you make because she needs to know what being a woman and a wife and a mother looks like. In all these ways, these practical ways, these these high-level, sophisticated essentials of life, how to love people, how to trust people, how to forgive people, mothers have this amazing capacity to communicate these values in substantial ways. It's just a remarkable gift of God. And I, I'm so, I so admire that. And, and mothers have this unusual capacity. On one minute, she can be the judge, you know, the Supreme Court judge passing sentence. And in the next second, be the most compassionate person, nurturing, loving person. And it's, it's this wonderful capacity that God gives moms that make motherhood one of the high, high calls of God in life. So for all of your moms today, we celebrate you. We appreciate you. We recognize that you're a woman first, that you're a wife, and then you're a mother. And in all these beautiful roles, you honor God with your life, and you make a difference. You you leave an impact that cannot be duplicated by anyone else. So we say thank you. I I love this... uh, a little story that a mother who had been teaching her, her growing, maturing daughter some theology, some Bible study, and so she was rehearsing with her one afternoon. She said to her daughter, what are the sins of omission? Sins of omission? And after some thought, the daughter said, well, they're the sins we ought to have committed but haven't. 
Mother said we're going to have to talk about that some more. <laughs> when it comes to the big ideas, moms know best. Here's your homework. You saw it on your outline, perhaps. What are the most important things you learned from your mother? What qualities did she instill in your life? How might you do honor to her or her memory? If your mother's alive, maybe thinking that through a little bit and writing those down and just sharing those with her may be a blessing to her. If your mother's already passed, maybe share it with your, your daughter or your granddaughter. These are things I learned from my mother. I hope that I can pass them on to you. In so many of the ways we can find means and ways to honor mom. So moms today in the room, we want to say thanks to you. It's your day, and so we want to celebrate, honor, and express appreciation to you. If you are here, and I know this is, you know, it's a little awkward, but it's a good, good idea anyway. It may be feel good when it's over. If you would be kind enough to stand. If you're a mom in the room and you don't mind us knowing, just would you stand up so we can just say thanks to you? Go, go right ahead and stand up. Let's just say thanks to mom. Yay, mom. Way to go. Awesome. Yeah. Stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. That's so great. Now, everyone else stand with them because we're, we're finished here. Now, if you're related to one of these moms, take them by the hand. If you're not related, don't touch them. It's not, it's not a good idea. You don't know them, don't reach for them like that. So take them by the hand, and while I pray, maybe you can squeeze them on the hand just a little bit and just say, yeah, that's what I, that's what I appreciate, love about you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all of these moms present in this place, on our campus this morning. Thank you for the wonderful gift that they are. Their tireless service, sacrificialness of care, unending devotion, wise counsel, unconditional love, a selfless life in so many ways that nurtures another life. What a great, what a great thing. What a godly. Thank you, God, that through our mothers, we see you and your nurturing care. Thank you for these moms. Now, Lord, even as we hold their hands today, we give thanks and appreciation. And that little squeeze now just reminds them of how much we love them and how much we care. So to the praise of your glorious praise, we thank you for our moms. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.